Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So today in our continuing just really running headfirst into Halloween and spooky times, we are going to be doing a double feature of Suspiria, the old one and the new one, which has been fun because neither of us had seen the old one before when we had decided to do this. (laughs) True story. But we both watched it now. That being said, a trigger warning on this. I don't think we're going to get too intensely into anything, but there is some kind of gruesomeness because we are talking about horror movies. It's really, we're not going to go into depth, but you know, just to put that out there. And I think we've already mentioned it, but we're probably going to do multiple movies this month. Uh, Episode movies, episode movies, movies, episodes. You (laughs) You know what I mean? Because there are just so many. We both love horror movies. There's so many to go over. I think a lot of them have really interesting themes when it comes to women and kind of all these anxieties we have around that. And I really want to talk about Black Swan. So it's odd to me that we're sort of doing this women in horror and dance theme. But you know, that's just that's just what's happening. Right. I've never seen Black Swan, so this will be an interesting take from me as well. Those types of movies are a little more trippy because it's not seen as horror, as a thriller suspense, I guess, mm-hmm. psychological Suspense, yeah. thrillers. And typically those, I'm like, eh, whatever. So it'll be interesting because I've only seen one Aronofsky film and I believe that's Mother. Yeah. And that one was twisted as hell. Yes, it is. We will talk about Mother and the Black Swan one because that it, there's a, a similar theme in Black Swan of like a male artistic director who is getting like, a woman is his muse and the woman is kind of like suffering for the art. Um, which we've talked about before, but um, yes, yes. I, I will say Black Swan is not as trippy and messed up as Mother is. Okay. I mean, I just remember being prepped for it in that uh, Jennifer Lawrence was talking about how it kind of damaged her at that point in time. And it made me not really love Aronofsky in general. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll, it'll be an interesting take, I think. Yes. Oh, yes, for sure. But that is for the future today. Yes. We were talking about Suspiria. Yes. And yeah, so let's jump into this classic version, the original Suspiria. And there's a lot of feeling about the fact that it has been remade, including from the director. So, but let's go ahead and jump into it. So it's directed by an Italian filmmaker, Dario Argento, in 1977. And this movie has been held as one of the best horror movies of all time. As in fact, according to one article, it said that it was in top 20 of all time from professional film critics. So they, if they had to like to say which ones were their top 20, this made the list. Uh, so we open up to see a young American, Susie Banyan, played by Jessica Harper, arriving at the airport in Munich on a very stormy night, like unusually stormy apparently, is a part of the plot. After struggling to get a taxi, literally jumping in front of one to stop it, she arrives at the prestigious academy in Freiburg, where we see another student leaving in a panic. And Susie then gets turned away from the studio as 
is told to leave, like the person is yelling at her at the the intercom, saying, leave, essentially. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Lass leaves the studio, and as she does, she witnesses the young lady who left in a panic, who is Pat, you'll want to know that name, walking through the woods in a hurry, in a very scared state of being. And we cut then to see Pat arriving at her friend's place after leaving the school. And she tries to talk about why she ran away, but is too scared, cold, and wet. So she retreats into the bathroom, where we proceed to see the first brutal scene. And apparently Argento is known for this kind of thing. And of course, where I come through going, girl, run, stop looking (laughs) at the damn window. Because I'm like, there's beady eyes, run. That's when you run, (laughs) you know, whatever. In which both Pat and her friend are killed. So Pat is stabbed repeatedly uh, with the final shot of the knife going directly into her heart. So you see a knife going into an actual heart. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess it's movie magic makeup, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) And then being hung while falling through a glass ceiling. And then we see her friend die due to the metal and glass falling on top of her. And by the way, throughout the scene, she's knocking on all the doors, screaming, help, my friend's getting murdered. (laughs) Nobody stops the help, by the way. Nope. And then uh, we move on to see Susie, who has finally made it inside of the dance studio, Dance Academy, and she is introduced to Madame Blanc, who played by Joan Bennett, which, by the way, this was her last movie that she'd ever filmed. Mm-hmm. And she was also nominated for a Saturn Award uh, for her performance. She didn't win, but she was nominated. And Miss Tanner, played by Alita Valley. Upon her arrival, she learns of Pat's death and murder. And at this point, Susie tries to recall exactly what Pat is saying as she fled from the school, but has a hard time remembering what was said. Apparently, this is a style that uh, Argento has used before um, and likes to use in a lot of his movies. So the whole like hidden message that you can't quite remember right. is always there. Mm-hmm. After she'd been told she would be boarding with another student due to her room not being ready at the academy, she decides that she would rather stay uh, with that other student rather than the academy. But uh, it got some weird reactions from the teachers, including one saying, oh, you're strong-willed. Good. Yeah. Okay. This is bizarre. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And after that, another bizarre encounter with the cook. Uh, A lot of foreboding stares in this movie, y'all. So definitely... There's a lot of tropes in this. It probably originated from this. So he definitely created a style. Mm-hmm. But yes, some odd staring, foreboding stares as she passes by the cook specifically. And then she gets sick. Weird. Don't know what's happening. This glittery light made her sick. And she's told she has to try to dance. And then she passes out while she's dancing. It's really dramatic. Mm-hmm. And then has to be seen by a doctor who puts her on a very restrictive diet that includes ambrosia wine. That's how they say it. So I was like, okay. And is moved into the dorm against her wishes. Mm -hmm. And of course, more weird things happen, like maggots falling out of the ceiling, causing them to have to be moved into the practice hall for the night. And y'all, that probably was the creepiest scene to me. The maggots in the hair. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) So they all have to move into the practice hall for the night where her classmate and neighbor, her dorm neighbor, Sarah, tells her of this incident where she is next to the school director or rooms next to a school director and she knows this weird snoring, whistling sound and it has to be her. And the school director was supposed to be gone at this time. But, you know, we see this floating image come and 
take a bed next to the students. So that was kind of like a, huh? Mm-hmm. So another weird occurrence, of course. Mm-hmm. Next day, we see a blind pianist who we are introduced earlier in, to, in the movie, but he comes in, leaves his guide dog at the door. And by, I was very scared. I was like, oh no, not a dog, not in a horror <laughs> movie. And then we hear noises from the outside as the nephew of Madame Blanc, who she's already stated means a lot to her. So we know he's something, walks to the school and immediately see Miss Tanner yelling at the pianist, accusing his dog of attacking the child, which leads to him leaving the school with him yelling, he knows what happens at this school. And then we later witness his death as his dog gets spooked and kills him. Mm-hmm. Weird moment too. Also, there's <laughs> a lot of foreboding stares from the cops in this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, uh, we also see Sarah trying to figure out uh, with Susie what the staff is doing as they can hear footsteps down the hallways only to realize, thanks to Susie, that they are not leaving but going somewhere unknown. Um, At the same time, we see that Susie can't stay awake and passes it out. Big sign. Of course, Mm -hmm. uh, with Sarah being that nosy, uh, the bad times come for her. Yes, after Susie accidentally outs her after telling Madame Blanc about what Pat said, something about Iris and secret, uh, Sarah tries to tell her what she found, including that she was meeting up with a friend to talk about some notes she had about the school. But as she's trying to tell Susie about everything, Sarah realizes Susie's completely passed out. And she runs in fear. And after a long, dramatic moment of being cornered into a room, and I mean... Dramatic, y'all. She gets caught up in what I think is supposed to be barbed wire fence, but if you look at it closely, it's not. But it's still, <laughs> like, I, I had the moment of a like, girl. Oh, no, she's yeah. trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gets her throat slashed. Very vivid scene. Next day, Susie discovers Sarah's room's empty and is told that she left without telling anyone. And Susie, now suspicious, meets up with Sarah's friend, finds out about the history of witches and some of the things that Sarah has been talking about through a professor that they both know. So they, she has this long conversation about witches and the fact, and the history of the school is long and dark and oh my goodness, including the fact that he tells her that as long as the mother witch is alive, all of them will be alive. So you must kill the queen, essentially, yeah. to kill off the rest of them. Uh-huh. So important information to know. Yes. <laughs> And by the way, if you haven't seen this film, I had to tell Annie that each one of the actors speak their own language. So you have four different languages spoken, but because of those types of movies, they would just dub them according Mm -hmm. to where they are going to be seen. So you have an American actor speaking English while the German actors are speaking German and they just dub over it. So it's really obvious and kind of confusing because you're Mm -hmm. like, but that's English, but that's not. I had that moment uh, for a couple (laughs) of times. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that's smart. Mm-hmm. cheapest way to do this. So yes, they would just <laughs> memorize each other's lines so they knew how to react. So when you see mm-hmm. the German professor talking to the American actress, it's very obvious like, huh? So, yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> so after Susie returns, she gets suspicious of the food as well and she dumps all of it and then decides after finding a note left by Sarah to follow the footsteps, which leads her to Blanc's office, which has a blue iris that she knows about. Uh, mm-hmm. And she turns it, opens it up to an eerie hallway, lots of writing, lots of weird chanting, items everywhere that leads her to the coven where the staff are meeting and find out that not only are they all witches, but they're going to kill her that night. Like they keep saying, kill the American, kill the American. <laughs> um, and she tries to find a way out and instead finds the corpse of Sarah. Really interesting scene. And find the director who turns out to be Helena Marcos, who is the queen of the coven or 
Mater Suspiriorum, or Mother of Sighs, who is part of the Three Witches. Um, after Marcos six zombie Sarah onto her to kill Susie, Susie stabs Marcos, though you can only see the outline of her, which causes the death of the entire coven. And as she runs to leave the academy, the entire academy bursts into flames. And that's the end. As we see her crying and we hear screaming in the background. So thin. <laughs> yep. And we're, we're going to talk more about the style differences and compare and contrast these movies because Samantha and I came at it from a very interesting angle, I think, where we both saw the new one first. And so when I was watching the old one, it was interesting because I was kind of having the reverse of like, oh, Marcos, and right. like trying to fit it into what I'd seen in the new one and how that was going to match up. And most of it really doesn't match up It does not. All. It so, does not. Uh, yeah, which I think, according to a lot of what we read, was probably good for us because we didn't enter the new one like constantly comparing and sort of being disappointed, it sounds right. like. Yeah. Let's talk about the new Suspiria. And it was inspired by this, this 1977 version, but th this is a 2018 supernatural horror film directed by Luca Guadagnino and written by David Kajganich. I hope I'm getting it somewhat in the ballpark. And this movie was a long time coming. Guadagnino attained the rights from the original creators in 2008. So that's 10 years. The plot follows an American woman, Susie Bannon, played by Dakota Johnson, who enrolls in a dancing school in Berlin that is run by a coven of witches. Uh, it also stars Tilda Swinton, who plays both the female lead choreographer and the male psychotherapist associated with the company, which, by the way... I saw this at a local theater, the Plaza. I believe there were several drinks involved before I went. I did not know that. <laughs> that was news to me. <laughs> so it was supposed to be hidden. They even made a pseudonym for her uh, in order oh, to hide okay. the identity. So it was purposeful that they, you weren't supposed to know. But then there was like, of course, the deep investigative people were like, nope, I got to know. And then just blasted it. And it wasn't supposed to be told. It was supposed to keep you in suspense oh. in that level of like, you're not supposed to know who this person is. And hopefully... The intent was that she did such a great job in portraying this role, and she does. Although for me, when I first watched it, I was like, uh, that person looks off. Like, what's with the right. makeup? Like, I knew it was makeup. I just didn't know who. Right. And so I remember looking it up, but it was. It was supposed to be a whole, like, hidden, like, gem, but people oh. could not handle it, and so out of it. <laughs> well, that makes me feel better then. Yeah. That wouldn't be the first time I've seen kind of a cerebral movie at the plaza with a couple drinks and left right. later and been like, uh, <laughs> what is, either that what is didn't this? make sense or I just didn't get it. <laughs> and I don't know where the line is. The original film star Jessica Harper uh, has a cameo in this as well. It is set up in Axe and starts in 1977 when Susie Bannon arrives in Berlin to audition for the Marcos Dance Academy in part escaping her abusive mother who refers to her as sin incarnate. Susie makes friends with another student, well-off Sarah, and at the same time draws the eyes of Madame Blanc, Tilda Swinton, um, the artistic director and choreographer. But wouldn't you know it, the, her arrival happens to be right as another student named Patricia went missing after she told a psychotherapist that the academy was run by a coven of witches who worships the three mothers. 
One of Patricia's friends, Olga, accuses the Academy's patrons of being witches and being the culprits behind whatever happened to Patricia. Olga tries to make her escape but gets stuck in a room in the school. As she is trapped, Susie dances for Madame Blanc and her movements after Madame Blanc does some kind of weird... There's a lot of weird stares in this one as well. Right, where touching like, too, okay, Touching, yeah. So you're like, something happened here. Some transference happened. So as Susie is dancing, her movements are somehow inflicting damage on Olga, or that's what the cuts seem to imply between the scenes. The matrons find her body and drag her away with hooks. Coven politics. There's a lot of coven politics in here. The coven holds an informal election, um, deciding to stick with Helena Marcos as their leader. She's been the leader for a very long time, and they choose her over Blanc, even while planning to use Susie as a host body for Marcos. A bit later, another matron kills herself, so a lot of unrest apparently going on, right. a lot of taking of sides. There was a whole thing with the, because I was really confused. I was trying to figure this out because the entire time where we see the dance scene of Susie and then the Olga being pretty much broken to pieces, the mm-hmm. matron is in horror. Like she's, you see her face as if she knows what's happening, but mm-hmm. then we also see her unrest. We don't know what's happening with her internally and why. Maybe mm-hmm. she just finally had enough. Does it ever explain? I don't think it ever explains, and my interpretation of it was, because I feel like a part of this whole movie, the thing is, this coven became corrupt and really lost sight of their whole thing, and they, they get punished at the end for it, which we'll talk about. And I felt like she... Was because she never says anything either, if I'm remembering correctly. She's just kind of always in this state of like watching in horror. And so I feel like maybe she just had this moment of like, yeah, opening her eyes and thinking, what have we done? What have we become? Right. But I don't think it ever really explains it. I could be wrong though, because again, I missed a lot of things the first time I watched it. And I did rewatch it for this, but still, there's a lot going on in this movie. And that's probably one of the biggest critiques of it is that it never really seems to decide what it wants to be. There's just so much happening. Right. Okay, but anyway, as Blanc's mentee, Susie lands the starring role in Volk. The psychotherapist, suspicious of the goings-on at the Academy, requests that Sarah help him secure Patricia's journal so he can learn more about the events leading up to her disappearance. Sarah eventually disagrees, but in her search, accidentally uncovers the inner sanctum of the academy that the coven uses for their rituals. She recovers one of the hooks and takes it to the psychotherapist. Sarah later returns to the sanctum on the opening night of Volk and finds Patricia shriveled and unwell. The matrons find Sarah and conjure a hole in the floor that Sarah falls through, breaking her leg. She manifests in the middle of the performance of Volk, dancing her part in some sort of trance, but her and Susie's eyes seem to change color while they're dancing, and Sarah collapses once her performance is over. Afterwards, the company is eating to celebrate opening night, but the matrons put all the students except Susie in a similar trance. The psychotherapist gets rid of the evidence all around Patricia and goes home to East Germany, only to find his long-lost wife, who went missing after the war. However, after talking for a bit, she disappears and the psychotherapist realizes he has been led back to the academy where the matrons are waiting for him. They take him to their sanctum where they lure Susie and you see a disemboweled Patricia, Olga, and Sarah. And they 
start their ritual. Um, we also see Helena Marcos, and she doesn't look good, everybody. <laughs> she doesn't look good. <laughs> she looks like a kind of like the mermaid from uh, Cabin in the Woods. Just a bloated fish zombie yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Blanc attempts to intervene when it seems that Susie is ready to accept her fate as Marcus's host, but then reveals, Susie then reveals herself to be Mother Suspirium, one of the three witches that once roamed the earth that the coven worships. She summons an incantation of death to kill corrupt uh, Marcos and her followers in order to cleanse the academy. So everybody who voted for Marcos, that's the end. Um, they blow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a spray of very bright red blood in a very red-lit scene. Susie slash Suspirium leads Patricia, Olga, and Sarah into their desks as peacefully as possible. It's something that when she asks what you want, that's what they say they want. While the students and matrons left alive dance in the background. The psychotherapist is released, and Susie slash Suspirium later apologizes to him, telling him how his wife actually died. She then erases his memories, causing a seizure. End? <laughs> That's the end. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. It, well, we come back to see Blanc coming back to life. You'd, yeah, kind of. It's like yeah. if they held her her neck in place, she was alive. But I don't know if, like... So she was permanently Indian, like, alive. She, she breathes a sigh, content, mm-hmm. and then the other witch who was helping Marcos is like, she right. feels she feels it. So you see mm-hmm. this like despair within the the school because they announced Blanc had left, but oh, then you right. see Blanc yeah, is yeah. actually alive, and you're like, what? Mm-hmm. And then you see them cleaning the dis, like all of the blood and such right. and below, and she's actually alive. So it's kind of like. What's happening? What's happening? Right. So there's this like kind of uneven ending. I think, you know, how I feel like this is how most horror movies go in order, order to like open up a just in case it goes really well. We're going to have right. part two come in. Right. But I guess it didn't go very well. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Maybe that's later in the makings. Who knows? Who knows? It took right. 10 years after he bought the rights. So maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's true. Yeah. There's a lot to be said about both movies. And yeah. Obviously, both movies are very, very different, yes. uh, except for common themes throughout. And as Argento stated when he was talking about the new remake coming, he wasn't too pleased. Uh, he essentially said, either you're going to do exactly what was there uh, if you're remaking it and doing exactly what I did, so what's the point mm-hmm. if you do that? Or you're going to do something completely different, and then how is this Suspiria? So he made that statement. Yeah. In regards to the remake. I didn't see any reports after it was done. I don't know if he watched it or what. So if mm-hmm. anybody wants to let me know, because I didn't see an after reaction of the film. Because obviously it is very different. So we wanted to do a quick comparison yeah. of this. The same name and similar in theme. So again, we have common characters coming in. We have the American coming to a school in Germany, except mm-hmm. it's, the location has changed a little bit. Uh, there's more politics in the second one than the yes. first one, obviously. Definitely different in its intent and presentation, including the fact that the first one is a part of a trilogy, which mm-hmm. is a part of what was written, I believe, by uh, Thomas De Quincey, who uh, did... I believe, the concept of the three mothers. So the three witches in this one, again, originally part of the trilogy, three three mothers, 
This is what the uh, fandom site says. This piece asserts that just as there are three fates and three graces, there are three sorrows. Mater Lacrimarum, Our Lady of Tears, Mater Suspirium, Our Lady of Sighs, and Mater Tenebrarum, Our Lady of Darkness. So he, Argento, did three movies, including Suspiria, which is what we know, Inferno, and The Mother of Tears. Um, I have not seen the other two. Have you? Nope, I have not. Okay. So there is an intent behind the entirety. And we do talk about that in the first one. Does it talk about it in the second one? It does. Yeah, they talk about the three mothers in there, but I think it's very, like... Brief. Yeah, passing okay. info. So, and that, obviously this one is too. I think it's very brief. Is the German professor explaining what's happening and the queen and mother, but Marcos is the center. And, and that's kind of the difference is that Marcos is already seen as Mater Suspirium in the first one. Mm-hmm. And obviously she's not in the second one. She's just a person. Yes. Yeah, who she's represents a, that. Right. She's like the corrupt person who's lost their way and believes or uses a name like Suspirium to do what they want to do and to have power and power over others, but really has lost the original intent and is kind of like blasphemously using this name. Yeah. Um, she was not happy. No, Suspirium. she was. Mater Suspirium was not happy. No, she was not. And she was kind of an anti-hero in that she was trying to put back what was wrong, as in like some of the things, like including the fact that she took that memory from the psychoanalysis, right. the doctor, because she was like, we did not mean, I regret what my daughters have done to you, is what she says to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh, that's an interesting justice level of takes. Yeah. I mean, I think the movie, is, the new one, the remake, is really un- uneven. But there are parts I really like of it, and I do really like the um, kind of primal modern dancing. Yeah. That feels really like, it's, it's very... Yeah, visceral, and it feels just very kind of, yeah, primal. And so in the end, when it reveals her, there's kind of like this level of, you know, this is when these witches walk this earth. It was a much more like primal, violent time where her sense of balance seems to be... I'll kill you because you've been using my name for these things. It is really interesting because that the the new one is almost all women. Right. 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 I agree. So there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about between the two movies on that that you just brought up, including dance. And I think it's very obvious that in the first one, it's just a plot point. You just have somewhere to go. Mm -hmm. This is a setup. Here we go. In the second one, it actually becomes a character. It becomes a part of the actual movie as if it's a character in itself because they use dance as a form of casting spells. And I found that very necessary because at the end with the whole ritual where you see them do that, but when she does the whole actual performance in front of the audience, that is also invoking the spirit and bringing a whole thing, including, again, Dakota Johnson's and or Suzy's character dancing alone and feeling all of that and talk about how it's going to make her sick and just overall exhaustion, but it actually broke a person's body. Like, that's what it did to her with, like, every pull, every tug. Like, the vast differences caused enough critics to be like, okay, we didn't love the second movie, but we loved the dance portion in this movie. And I thought it was beautiful because also 
She is the mother of size. And throughout the movie, there's no music tied into the dance. It's all heavy breathing. And it sounds mm-hmm. like... <sighs> yeah. Within the movie. And I found that very, like, telling. As a person who loves modern dance, so obviously you have a ballet studio versus modern dance studio. And it mm-hmm. is very different in form. Graceful and beautiful in both. But this interpretive level of this instead of just performance in this other way of using it in the movie where you see her literally fleeting through a one 30-second part to the film as versus whole scenes of beautifully choreographed dancing that yeah. is very vastly different in how he's focusing the art and the color of the dance. Did you think that? Yeah, yeah. And I think it was it was so almost violent of a style mm-hmm. of dancing. And I liked, like, the silence was unnerving. And it just felt so, like, kind of jerky but powerful. And and those discussions around, like, physical limitations and having to push yourself and jump higher and higher off the floor and then having that juxtaposed against, like, a broken body from, from this style of dancing. And again, like, there's so many things in this movie where I'm like, am I reading into this too much? But I was like, you know, that kind of physicality of dancing and how it does often leave people right. broken or hurt or injured and have these things and, and and that for this art there is a danger behind it even though I think a lot of people see it as sort of frivolous and I like mm-hmm. that that juxtaposition as well of like dancing women is seen as often like kind of a quote frilly thing pretty thing but this was very much like the opposite of that it felt like dangerous and violent and intense. And they talk about that uh, Susie actually broke the spell because she kind of just alternated from the routine, which is what made Sarah collapse because she wasn't doing the actual full dance. And they have a whole conversation in her dream, which we need to talk about the dreams later on. (laughs) But in her dream, having a talk with Blanc about the fact that she broke the spell and she knew it, but she couldn't stop what she was doing, even though it was going against the choreography. So it Mm -hmm. broke the trance, essentially, is what she's talking about. But of course, that is a big, again, character point in that movie as versus the old movie. That was not a focus. They did not care about the dance. And that's fine, because it was literally made as a plot point. Move on. Here's a scenery. We're setting this up. Although we do see one class in The Pianist. So we see that in the original. <laughs> but speaking of the pianist, as you talked about, so in the first movie, there are men in there. So you see the young man who is helping her move into the place, and he apparently is the go-boy for Madame Blanc, is how they say it. Essentially, he uh, he doesn't have enough money to pay for dorm, so what he does is servitude to uh, Madame Blanc in order to stay. And then you see the pianist who obviously makes enemies of them and is just there. Then you have the large guy with new teeth. Uh, I guess he's like the butler character and is quiet and is just there. And then you have the young man and the doctor. And then the outside, two outside characters that are friends with Sarah. But if you look at the way they use men in this, they're all subjugated. They are all servants and or in uh, some type of labor intensive to the women there. And they do the dirty work. Because in the first scene, you see the hairy arm. Not that women can't have hairy arms, but I think it's intent to be like, this is a man carrying this out. Mm -hmm. And when we see the scene with Susie finding that someone's trying to come get her is the dude with the teeth who never Mm -hmm. speak. So the very limited amount of things that are there, but they still have the men there 
in that scene, which I think is a striking contrast to the second one, where even the one main male character is not actually a man. Right, 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 right. And there's that whole scene where the the male police officers come and then one of them is put in a trance and Susie sees them like the with the coven like taunting him with the hook around his penis. And it was like, right. oh my God, what am I watching? <laughs> I was not expecting this. <laughs> but yeah, I just I find that so interesting because I've one of the main messages I keep coming back to of that movie to me is corruption and like having this, you know, a organization that is all women, but they are, you know, abusing their power. They are after youth and kind of like taking these younger bodies of women. And there's just kind of these power dynamics and structures. And in both of these, you know, even the men, the men play like the lesser role that I think a lot of times we get, or like some people get mad about when they're like, men have no roles. Like that's what women have been doing in horror movies forever. It's like having these background roles. But that being said, Tilda Swinton as the psychotherapist is interesting because I, it's the fact that he is sort of throughout, you have sympathy for him and he's the one that's trying to investigate into this coven. And then he at the one, yes, gets apologized to, is spared for what all these women have done, I just find very, very interesting. <laughs> right. I find it interesting. <laughs> right. And I think it's, of course, again, purposely done. And then a couple of other things I was thinking about too, the use of color, very mm-hmm. different. So Argento... Oh, yeah is absolutely all about bright colors. And each color is almost like a framework of what's about to happen. Even to the fact that he obviously, I don't know if it's the Technicolor bit and and like they came in and put color in it later or trying to adjust it. Maybe I watched it remastered in 4K type of thing. And I'm like, wait, what? Because the blood looks actually like paint. Mm -hmm. Then he wanted it so vibrant that it's over the top. The glass in the first scene where she falls through is very brightly colored and beautiful. Even the wine that she can't get the stains out of looks like thick paint onto the sink. Uh, He really wants to differentiate the blood versus whatever else is there. But he wants you to see that blood Mm -hmm. for sure. And I found that interesting that because he... It's very Italian to me. That's very Italian level of like the bright colors is what brings the horror in this type of movie as opposed to the second one, which is very muted except for the moments that are supposed to kind of shock you. Yes, yes. And I loved the color in the the old one. It was very striking. It was very, very striking. Uh, And I would just catch myself because a lot of the scenes go on for a minute. (laughs) Like you said, there's a lot of like staring or like it'll, it'll linger in that color. For mm-hmm. a minute, and you're like, mm-hmm. "What is?" It's kind of trippy, almost. Yeah. In the new one, it is very, and that was one of the big complaints people had was like, it's so muted, it's so neutral, except for yeah, like I would say red, like spikes of red when there's violence, right. um, and especially in that end scene where Suspirium is punishing the people and Marcus's crew, and it's like the whole thing is red. The lights are red. People are exploding red. <laughs> like, by the way, everyone's naked. I don't think I mentioned that. <laughs> yes. There's a lot yes. of nudity in the second one. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, there, yeah, there really isn't that much color. 
Right. Um, except for, again, the little dream sequence where yeah. there's supposed to be like a floating, I guess, That's purse. Right. Yeah. It's colorful rainbow, iridescent yeah. rainbow. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he did mm-hmm. that on purpose. He also likes to do the slow scene where it slows down, drags a little bit uh, when they're supposed to be either in, I guess, conversation with each other through their minds. Is that what's happening? Because like even like yeah. the end where she says, what do you want? They're not speaking. Mm-hmm. But it's very floaty. Yeah. As well as the scene is very, and I'm doing a gesture with my hands, y'all. That's like a floaty, <laughs> wavy thing. Yeah. Like, oh, was that trippy? That's the second one. We don't see that at all. The first one, you see some black shadows, you see the eyes, and then you see uh, when Marcos disappears. Because you really never see too much of Marcos, except for at the very end where they die and you see the knife protruding out the back of her neck. Mm-hmm. But the outline of her is in gold. Sparkly mm-hmm. gold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not funny. That was a, kind of I funny. wasn't expecting that. <laughs> right. Right. And then like, I will say also the difference with, and as I'm talking about the final scene, the final girl, I will say I did like the fact that the new movie did not follow that trope to the core. Like right. he wanted a completely different final girl where we see in the original, it is absolutely his every mark of the trope. Again, though, he put a, like, he he was kind of the standard at that point of those gruesome horror movies, that he set up a whole new context and way to do this film. And so it wasn't so tropey then. It was mm-hmm. more original to have this girl survive, which typically, yeah, most of the girls don't always survive. And it's like, what just happened? And mm-hmm. she ends up being the hero of it, too, which is mm-hmm. the final girl. But... Yeah, yeah. And in the new one, it was interesting to watch it because this was only the second time I've seen it. So the first time I watched it, I was like, wait, what? Right. (laughs) She's the witch? Wait, what? She's killing everybody? Because she is a very demure, like she she comes from a Mennonite community and her mother was abusive and she's just really quiet. So it's quite a flip. I mean, she definitely has moments where she'll stand up for herself and say like, no, I want to do the dance like this. Or, But it's still sort of painted as a way where she's, backing down almost, or she can't do the physical thing that's being asked of her, so she's trying to get around it. But when you rewatch it, you're like, huh, okay. (laughs) She was really playing that role of this is the problem that she had, or one of the problems she had with how corrupt the organization was. It's like, look, if I had been this young girl and come in, and this is what you expected of me, and then uh, you're going to use my body, and that's not great. <laughs> it wasn't that she was always the witch. It was that she finally she accepted the witch and it was a different role than, than they expected, correct? That's what I think. The first okay. time I saw it, I thought she was just the witch the whole time and was messing right, with me. Right, me too. And I was really <laughs> confused. I was like, wait, why would they do because they do the whole uh flashbacks with her childhood as a Mennonite. Yep. yep. And I'm like, yep, and her being abused and not being, <laughs> being accepted and her mother saying she's evil and she's brought mm-hmm. evil into the world. And I, I thought that maybe it was because uh, her mom was insinuating, I don't know why, originally yeah. that maybe she was raped and or had an extramarital affair. And so therefore mm-hmm. she was created out of evil. Yeah. But then going back, I'm like, oh, maybe she just saw evil in her because she wouldn't obey. Yeah, yeah. Because she, like I said, she calls her evil incarnate. And I think the first time I saw it, that's what I thought too. It's like, oh, she was born something weird about right. her birth and she was always this. I mean, maybe there's a part of that too. Maybe it's, She did kind of, was always this vessel, and she did just have to accept it. 
Right. Yeah. A lot going on, as we said. <laughs> right. Which I, like I said, I wonder if there's supposed to be a two and it just never got funded or it's in wait. Who knows? It's only been three years. Last time it took them 10 yeah. years. But yeah, and I will say Jessica Harper was one of the big reasons that this movie was so successful. She she really put on this whole different role. Apparently, they had talked about her doe-eyed, uh, sweet demeanor, being small, and coming in as the genuinely kind American, suspicious of everyone from jump, uh, mm-hmm. be feeling like she's an outsider, all those things. Uh, they do talk about her aunt, I believe, being from the studio as well. So I wonder if she knew everything that was going on whatever, whatnot, um, to the point that when we were talking about the dubbed over speeches for whichever country it was released, apparently uh, Argento was not happy with the Italian dub over because they lost Jessica Harper's voice yeah. and her voices. Uh, he really loved her voices. Very pleasing. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> FYI, she was also a cameo. I think we already talked about that in the other movie. But what made me laugh was like, she's speaking German. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, was, who, she was an yeah. American, the only American girl in right. this one. And they flipped her and decided to make her German as a cameo. And she looks beautiful. I'm like, oh my God, she has not really changed. She, I absolutely see that that is Jessica Harper. And she was absolutely familiar to me because mm-hmm. I think she'd been in some other 70s movies. But I was like, oh, there she is. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun to watch these because I watched them back to back, but I I should have started with the old one. I started with the new one and then did the old one. Oh, yeah. But then I'm like, I'm going to have to rewatch and see if there are any connections because now I'm thinking, well, what if they are meant to be connected and it's just messing with my head? I think it's meant to mess with your head. The second one for sure. Right. That being said, there were a couple things I wanted to touch on really quickly about the new one. And one of them is motherhood. So... You know, you've got these mother witches who are kind of watching over these younger girls or are at this academy. Um, There's a a stitched pattern in the beginning that says a mother is a woman who can take the place of all others, but whose place no one else can take. Mm -hmm. Which, given how the coven politics go and how superiorum (laughs) turns out. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. But also, I didn't... I hadn't really thought about it this way, but when I was researching it, I read an article about how kind of like this was about picking favorites like a mother picking favorites and it was one of those articles that I agreed with but upset me because it's like yeah you know parents have favorites even if they would never admit it there is one and this is like you see the matrons pick like oh Susie is the one or oh Patricia is the one and oh Patricia let us down so badly you know just all of these things and how those power dynamics play out a lot of the corruption is is a part of that of like playing this game and picking these favorites whether it is the the dancers or it is the matrons who will be the leaders um and there's a lot of like abuse of power happening a lot of questioning around ambition and especially around ambition at any price and when it means like taking a host body. I think that was one of the things too is they kind of revel in it. Like they are laughing when mm-hmm. they use these hooks. And that's that's one of the things where I was like, it's just a really fascinating take on, because we talk about witches all the time on the show, all the time. <laughs> How it's kind of this fear of women and women in power, women with ambition. But this is like that, but then it went wrong. Like then it got corrupt right. and messed up. 
Right. Uh, there are no men to speak of, really. This was them right. doing it. And again, in the older movie, there's no real theme of motherhood there. They do not care. They don't, right. they don't really connect with any of them. You have more of like rivalry against the women, but also friendships with the women. So it's really mm-hmm. kind of like who is whom and a mm-hmm. lot of distrust. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't yeah. think any of the girls escaped that fire. <laughs> I don't think they did either. I think it was only Susie. Only Susie. And what does she tell everyone after that? Who knows? Right? <laughs> and then I did briefly want to touch on at the end when Susie Suspirium is asking Patricia, Olga, and Sarah, you know, she's kind of granting them this wish. And they all say, she says, what do you ask? And they all say, we're so tired, we want to die. And this is another instance where I think I could be reading too deeply into it. But it sort of felt like just being stuck in this kind of abusive system that is just going to use you and abuse you and throw you away and hurt you and cause you all this pain. And your way out is death. Like all this, they have all this suffering and they choose death. And I feel like that's a theme you see a lot in horror movies where there's a system, whether it's like patriarchy or white supremacy, ultimately, and you can't get out of it. Like you try and try or try and you can't get out of it. And the only way out is death. <laughs> right. Which is very macabre. <laughs> there was one portion that I was very confused by. Maybe I read it too wrong. When they get the doctor, they trick him by having that image of his wife reappear. When they drug him, they scream at him about A, not believing women, Patricia, mm-hmm. when she came to him about everything that was wrong and he didn't believe her, or B, leaving women behind. And I thought, and they actually say that to him. And I was like, I mean, it's true. He did both of those things, but not necessarily in all in that context. Like, it was an mm-hmm. interesting way of like, we're going to punish you for this. And then it yeah. kind of was like, is he trying to make fun of women saying these things and putting right. it blame on one not so innocent man, but a man that we were sympathetic to? Right. So I was like, I don't know if he's actually being tongue in cheek to feminists right. or if he's actually being honest. Like, I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Because it could be like, you know, another commentary on how hypocritical they're being and how far they've lost their way, which could be, I don't know this guy, it could be his critique on like feminism. Or, you know, in a weird way, it could be they really did believe that and it was true and they were mad about it, but not mad enough to... Right. Essentially, (laughs) one of those things, they were gaslighting Patricia pretty hard so no one would believe her. They were truly trying to kill her Mm -hmm. because they wanted her body. So it's kind of like, why would you blame that on him? Yeah. I think they were very... That's my biggest takeaway from that movie is they were very hypocritical and they were corrupt and they had just like totally lost sight of what they purported to be doing, which was worshiping these three witches. But they were doing it all the wrong way. (laughs) Only for power. Well. (laughs) So, that is our discussion. We had a lot of thoughts. We did, we did. I mean, it's two movies and two very unique and interesting movies with a lot of, obviously, interpretation that you can have. 
Oh, uh, I don't w- know if you know this. I'm going to throw this in there. Apparently, the original Suspiria was such an influence, uh, especially with their music. The Goblin, their theme, it was huge and it's still very recognizable today. And it's still used in several uh, different like intros, apparently. People use that for their intros because they love uh-huh. it. The movie made such impact that rock bands, including Smashing Pumpkins, uh, use that <laughs> name because of his horror. Like He influenced rock and roll in a weirdly dynamic way. Mm-hmm. And unexpected. And I do like, I think it's such a contrast again to the newer movie. And we didn't talk about that, that he uses that type of music and he did it purposely to mess with you, like to mess right. with that soundscape. And it hit because we've kind of heard those same like beats and sounds to, uh, let's say, Halloween or mm-hmm. when we hear, uh, like the Friday 13th. <laughs> it, it brought that, like, I don't know what a came psycho first. Psycho, too. Yeah. Yeah, like well, Psycho, well, Psycho was earlier. the original. Yeah, right. that was the original. But like that kind of had that whole power dynamic mm-hmm. within it. Um, and that conversation of this type of style of the loud and screechy that you're mm-hmm. like, what is happening to the very like almost silence of the newer one? The sounds were very, very purposeful. But he yes. used, uh, Argento used music purposely to mess with individuals. And it it was a whole thing. It's a whole thing still mm-hmm. uh, when people hear that music. So I thought oh, I'd put sure. that in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought the music choices were interesting in both of them. And I love that kind of stuff. I love like the the entertainment and art of scaring people. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, but speaking of listeners, if you have any topics that you would like us to cover, please email them to us. You can do that at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 